Let's all take our seats and open up with the song, uh, This Is The Day. and praise to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for a new day. Thank you, Lord, for your love, your mercy. God, thank you for how great you are. Lord, omnipotent, all-powerful, Lord Jesus, you are love, Lord, and we just want to put our eyes on you this morning and thank you, Father, for who you are and what you have done, Lord. Thank you for each soul that's here this morning. God, I pray that we sing these songs uh, that our hearts would be drawn to you, God, that our eyes would be open to see you for who you are. Lord Jesus, it's all about you and we worship you. Amen. Amen. Welcome, welcome to each of you. I'd like to open up with uh, a passage in Isaiah 40, starting in verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span, and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure, and weighed the mountains in a balance, and the hills in a pair of scales. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult, and who gave him understanding? And who taught him in the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and informed him in the way of understanding? There's no one greater than our God. Amen? You look at the mountains out here, and he just like weighs him in his scales, <laughs> and he, he measures the universe in the palm of his hand. He is more powerful, and the only being in whose reason for existing is in himself. He doesn't need anything. He's, he's all, all powerful, and he is love, and um, I just this week been thinking about that and how great God is, and um, without him, everything falls into chaos. It really does. Um, So I'd like to uh, do a song this morning called Behold Our God.
Father, we thank you that nothing can compare with you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we just lift you high this morning and thank you that, uh, Lord, you hold everything in your hands, Lord, and that nothing takes you by surprise, nothing scares you. And Lord, you guide our steps, Lord, you watch over us. Thank you for that, in Jesus' name. Amen. With that truth, our faith has found a resting place. Amen. Let's sing that uh, hymn together.
Amen. Anyone has any testimony or a prayer request? Anything the Lord's been doing in your life you'd like to share? Feel free to speak out. You can be seated.
Yeah. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. That's a good reminder. Many times do we go to the Lord and I want this, I want that. God, can you please do this and that? And instead of just being quiet and letting him speak to us, it's good. I think sometimes we become in such a hurry. And if I think if I look at this last week or something and something I learned, we're always in a hurry. I am. If anybody knows me, I'm always in a hurry. And I always got a plan, and I always got to get there. And my mom said, from the minute I was born, I was always looking for the next thing. If I was crawling, I couldn't wait till I could walk. If I could walk, I couldn't wait till I could run. If I could run, I couldn't wait till I could jump. I couldn't. I was just always going to the next thing. That was my, I think that's, I don't know, that's my makeup. But if you look back over life and how faithful God is with patience, and my dad and I were talking about this yesterday, and thinking about it, I always relate 9-11 to the year that I, I feel like things fell apart for my dad, if you will. That was the year he started getting into all the stuff down in Africa that he was into for 18 years. And then I, if I look at that, and going through 9-11, and also being my dad was here. And the reason I associate the same is we were on the same logging job through that whole process. And I remember when dad came out and talked to me about that for the first time. And now I look at my dad and I see, I, got, I mean, I, the faithfulness of God. It's 19 years later, but I have my dad back in ways that I have never had my dad for those 19 years. And he's not perfect. But he's actually loving and seeking God in a way that I have not seen for years. And getting to spend one week with him this last week and realizing, yes, God doesn't work fast. But yet, 19 years later, I can still look at it and say, God is faithful. I do have my dad. I do have a dad that in his imperfections, he still loves the Lord in his own way. And, and I can be grateful for that and be encouraged by what God is doing in his life and his encouragement to me in ways that I haven't for years and years had. And it does mean a lot to have your dad having your back, if you will, in many ways. And so, yeah, I just, the faithfulness of God in the time that God does it has just really stood out to me this week. Final 
breath he gave as heaven looked away the son of god was laid in darkness
He's alive. Amen. Amen. When the stars burn down and the earth wears out and we stand before the throne, um, people talk about climate change these days and I just have to smile because it's all going to pass away. We know that. And uh, the day of the Lord is coming. We're so thankful that our hope isn't in this world. up to his side and forever we will be his
Amen. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, Jesus, that this world is not our home. But, Lord, that you will return and you will wipe every, every tear away from our eyes, all the grief, all the heartache that we've ever known in this earth, Lord. God, you will make it all right and make it all new. Thank you for that, Lord. I'll stand up and sing one more song.
save me. Buried he carried my sins far away. day. Amen. All right, I'll turn the time over and you can be seated. All right, kiddos, kids, children, young ones, want to be kids? <clears throat> kids that never grow up. Over here, guys. Three, two, one. Wow. We got Sherry, Tiffany, Benny, all right, well, we're going to have to have some really good loud singing, we got one, two, three, four, five, six, gotta, okay, you got a good song, Diffie, Well, the way your tongue was hanging out, keep your tongue from evil. Uh-uh. <laughs> it's not a good COVID song, okay. Ah, uh, let me see. Uh, is that one of your favorites? Mmm. You know, I grew up with that song. That was always one of my favorites, too. God's not dead, no, he is alive. God's not dead, no, he is alive. God's not dead, no, he is alive. I feel him in my hands, feel him in my feet, feel him in my heart, feel him in my soul. Woo! Feel him all over me. God's not dead. smiling we got Lukey smiling Blake well he's still a work in progress oh got it okay another one I'm trying to figure out if I could actually sing all the words to I'm no kin to the monkey king of the monkey kin to the monkey do you know that song I'm no kin to the monkey, monkey's no kin to me, I don't know much about his ancestors, but mine didn't swing from a tree, so unbelievable, but surely, surely.
because that's the last verse. That was the first verse. That was the first, okay, and then the second verse is, this monkey business has to go because it just is not true. They're teaching our I should get word Someday I'll get a poem and I'll ring it, ring it to you, read it to you. I can almost quote that too, but it'd be about as bad as that song. We used to do that as a family when we sang. My sisters would do it, and then there's a part in there where it'd say your tails would be yanked, and I'd yank my sister's tail, and she'd go scurrying across the stage. It worked. Jason yanked on my tail. <laughs> All right, ah, we'll try not to stay away from songs I don't know that well. Ah, uh, let me see. What's one of the new ones we sang? Walk, walk, walk. How's that start? You again? Okay, you're going to have to, like, spread out a little bit. It's a great thing to trust the Lord. It's a great thing to trust the Lord. It's a great thing to praise the Lord. Walking in the light of God. Walk, walk, walk in the light. Walk, walk, walk in the light. Walk, walk, walk. I did not expect to see you this morning. How about if we make John and Maggie and baby Dominic welcome? Woo! It's good to have you guys here. We didn't expect to see you here this morning. Did you bring anything new with you? What? A toy? Did you get something new this week? What? Oh, okay. (laughs) 
But the stuffed animal is pretty important too. <laughs> Caleb, you're not coming up this morning? No, okay. You got to sit back there and protect that little brother, right? Okay. All right. So you got a song, Lexi, you want to sing? Wrapped up, tied up. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in God. I'm inside, outside, side to side in Jesus. I'm inside, outside, side to side in Jesus. I'm inside, outside, side to side in Jesus. I'm inside, outside, side to side. Inside, outside, side to side. Inside, outside, side to side in slow huh slow oh tiffy okay the little ones want slow and the big ones want fast okay so what we'll do we'll go slow and you guys can get this nailed down right we'll mix it all up and then you guys can get it all right then when it goes fast you stand there and critique the ones that are wanting to go fast and see if they get it all. When they go, when we go fast, then these three have to get it all. All right? You guys stand there and judge whether they get all of it. Okay? All right. I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. I'm inside, outside. Side to side in Jesus, I'm upright, downright, living right in Jesus. I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up, inside, outside, side to side, upright, downright, living right in God. Okay, so we see if they can do it now? Okay, you guys just... Just stare at them. Make them very uncomfortable. All right? I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. I'm inside, outside, side to side in Jesus. I'm upright, downright, living right in Jesus. I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up, inside, outside, side to side.
Did they do okay? They did all right? I mean, I think Sherry was giving them a run for their money there, but... All right. Another one? Somebody? You don't want to sing somebody? Yes. All right. We got one no and one yes, and she wins. She's a girl. Oh, what's cute. Let's go, G again. God made me somebody special, somebody special, yes sirree. God made me somebody special, somebody special, yes sirree. He knows each time I need him, he hears my humble Anybody know what I get made fun of all the time? Other than most everything. Everybody makes fun of my thumbs. So I have to sing that song to myself at night so I can go to sleep. Because <laughs> God gave me big toes for thumbs. Don't you think? Hmm. Okay. Alright. Um, did you have the story picked up? Good to have you all here this morning, and uh, what a blessed time it already was hearing from the worship team and from the kids. Thank you all for leading us in that worship and pointing us to God through that. It's been a blessing to be here already. A few quick announcements. If you're here for the first time, we want to welcome you. Give everybody a hand, all our visitors. And uh, in the back, in the foyer, there is a table back there. There's masks, hand sanitizer, there's Bibles and other literature back there. Anything on that table is free. Please help yourselves. We also have a... Uh, we also have coffee, water, tea also back in the foyer on uh, a bar just back behind that door. Please help yourself to that. To my left, your right, down that, straight down that hall is our restrooms. After our uh, service concludes, after the sermon, we will be serving a meal, so please stay for that. That is a great time of fellowship as well, and we have plenty of food, so... We welcome you to please stay and join in 
and join in with that. Another announcement coming up, I think, two weeks from today, on a Sunday evening, we are going to have the uh, His Little Feet Children's Choir, International Children's Choir here, on a Sunday evening in conjunction with the Windsor Christian Fellowship. We're going, it's going to be an outdoor event, a community event, so please invite friends, neighbors, uh, anybody from anywhere, really, and it, I'm sure it'll be a uh, great time hearing uh, this uh, International Kids Choir. We will be posting more of that on our Facebook page and locally on our Viber channel as well, so uh, be looking for that. We'll try to have some flyers, at least digitally, that you can uh, share and, and spread the word with it that way. Um, did we have a time for that yet, Phil? 6.30 Sunday evening, that's two weeks from today, 27th. 6.30 in the evening, that will be an outdoor event. So bring your lawn chairs, and uh, like I said, we'll be passing on some more information about that. And uh, we'll see if we can possibly put that up on our website, at least our Facebook page. Go ahead and uh, check out our website. We've been redesigning it, still got a little bit more work to do on it, but go ahead and check that out. And uh, there's information about us on there as well. Um, I think that concludes any announcements we have. It's good to have John and Penny Olive here again. It's been a while, welcome. It's uh, sadly the COVID has kept them away for a while, but we uh, appreciate having them here again uh, from Cheyenne. John will be sharing with us this morning, and it's always a blessing to hear what the Lord lays on his heart. So, John, if you want to come up here, and uh, I'll pray for you, and I'll turn the time over to you for uh, the sermon. Thank you, Father, for my brother John. I pray that you would anoint his lips, his mouth, his heart this morning, that we would hear your words flow through him. I thank you for his willingness to come and share with us in this way. I pray that you would bless him and Penny and their family and continue to guide them, Father. And I thank you for the life that they live and the example they have been to us. And I pray that you would just Bless our fellowship with them here this morning and that you would speak to us through your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Are we good on the volume there, Tyrone? All right, perfect. Well, last time I was here was uh, somewhere in March and um, never dreamed <laughs> it would be September before... We'd be back here in person, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, was it Numbers chapter 9? You know, it's like you just never know what uh, one day to the next is going to hold. Uh, you're wandering around uh, following the Lord and letting him lead, and so it's been, um, been a pretty uh, interesting journey. But anyway, we're glad to be back. 
Good to see a lot of familiar faces and some new faces that I don't recognize. Well, a chance to get acquainted uh, later on today. Um, uh, really, uh, this is a labor of love for me today. This is uh, one of my most uh, favorite topics to talk about, and um, so I'm, I'm grateful to have this opportunity. The amazing podium you've got here. I've, uh, this is... I don't know how old this is, but I've never seen it before. It's nice. <laughs> so, um, all right. Well, uh, I'm going to start with reading you a poem. See if anybody is familiar with this. Uh, As I have gone alone in there, and with my treasures bold, I can keep my secret where, and hints of riches new and old. Begin it where warm waters halt and take it in the canyon down, not far, but too far to walk, put in below the home of brown. From there it's no place for the meek, the end is drawing ever nigh. There'll be no paddle up your creek, just heavy loads and water high. If you've been wise and found the blaze, look quickly down your quest to cease. But tarry scant, with marvel gaze, just take the chest and go in peace. So why is it that I must go and leave my trove for all to seek? The answer I already know, I've done it tired and now I'm weak. So hear me all and listen good, your effort will be worth the cold. If you are brave and in the wood, I give you title to the gold. Anybody recognize that? I know where that comes from. All right. Yeah, we got one uh, Horace Finn treasure hunter in here. Uh, did you ever go searching for it? No? Okay. All right. Uh, so about 2010, this gentleman named Forrest Finn in New Mexico wrote a book, The Thrill of the Chase. And in it, he put this poem. And this poem, allegedly, what he, what he told everybody was that he had buried this chest with over a million dollars worth of gold, and, and apparently he also augmented it from time to time with different things, and, and buried it somewhere. And this is the poem that many, many people spent so much waking moments of their lives, and actually four people died trying to find his treasure. Um, and, and what's really weird is, uh, is a lot of the focus settled in Yellowstone National Park. Apparently, there were things in the poem that, that lead people to believe it was somewhere in Yellowstone. And so as a probation officer up in Wyoming, until I retired in 2016, we had a lot of people that got in trouble up there going in early and, and violating road closures and, and camping without a permit and doing all this wild, crazy stuff trying to find Forrest Fenn's treasure. Um, and it, it's, uh, it's really amazing because he announced, uh, what, two months ago or something, or less than that, that somebody had actually found the treasure. And indeed, it was, it was buried in Wyoming. They, he didn't identify the, the place, and the person who found the treasure didn't identify the place for obvious reasons. They didn't want, probably didn't, didn't want to get in a property dispute with the federal government. Understandable. Um, and after I've written this sermon, um, Forrest Finn died this past week. So it's like, 
Talk about total closure. I mean, but can you imagine taking all of your energy and resources and all your vacation and even sp spending your life, literally, trying to find something that may or may not exist because who really knew Forrest Finn that well? He could have made all this up. Did he, did he even have a treasure buried? Did anyone ever find the treasure if he actually buried it? He could have announced all this and it was just a myth. We don't know. No one will ever know now because he's passed. But a number of people thought that this was so legitimate they invested all this time in. And um, I just, if, if it was true and someone actually did find that treasure, can you imagine the thrill of being the only one in 10 years who finally found the treasure, you know, and, and what joy you would have over that. Well, that's the title of the sermon, is Buried Treasure. I'm not talking about uh, gold and silver today. I'm talking about something infinitely more valuable, and that is the Word of God. Uh, but I, it's, it's always it drawn me in, you know, thinking about that and all the crazy things people do trying to find treasure. I hope we get excited about finding treasure, spiritual treasure. To give you some uh, some verses to think about, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. Proverbs twenty five two. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Psalm 19, verses 9 and 10. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Psalm 119, 72. Well, how can this be? I mean, how can a Bible verse be of more worth than worse Finn's buried treasure? Well, when I was a young man and stuck in religious bondage, I was so incredibly miserable, and it only took one verse, Galatians uh, 3.20, and the Lord's illumination of that to set me free and uh, bring me out into a place to where I was, I, I was able to hear God again and filled with joy and peace. And when our soul is at stake, money means nothing. We want deliverance. We need satisfaction in our soul. And money can never satisfy that. Only the Word of God can. <clears throat> now, God has a treasure that needs to be sought out in His Word. And that means that it is hidden at some level. And it is, it is uh, important that we understand how God hides his revelation. Let's look at a passage in Isaiah 29. <clears throat> Starting in verse 9, it says, Pause and wonder. Blind yourselves and be blind. They are drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with intoxicating drink. For the Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, namely the prophets. 
and he has covered your heads, namely the seers. The whole vision has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one who is literate, saying, please read this. And he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. Then the book is delivered to one who is illiterate, saying, read this, please. And he says, I am not literate. Therefore, the Lord said, inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among this people, a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. Important to realize that even if we are literate, if we can read and write, we don't primarily understand Scripture with our intellect. Uh, anybody can read Scripture and understand it at some level intellectually. But God reserves a different method for delivering truth and revelation to his people that has nothing to do with our intellect. Instead, the, the uh, revelation comes from his spirit to our spirit. It's uh, Watchman Nee described it as a, like a burst of light or inspiration. Sometimes you will just, you will see something so clearly, but you can't even capture it in words yet. It has been just flashed into your spirit. And then you need to write it down and be able to uh, think about it and understand it at a deeper level. But revelation primarily comes as a burst of light or knowledge. Uh, now, when we, when we look at how God hides his, his word from those whose hearts aren't right toward him, we have to consider a concept called parables. Now, if we know the New Testament, we know there's a lot of parables mentioned in there, and parables are one of the most misunderstood concepts in the church today. Parables are very often described as what are actually analogies. We use analogies to describe something that is complex or that we are not familiar with and compare it to something that is simple or something we do have understanding about and to help make sense of something that we, we're having trouble understanding. That's an analogy. Jesus used lots and lots of analogies. In John chapter 3, he used an analogy of the wind blowing to help Nicodemus understand that you may not understand how the Holy Spirit works any more than you understand how the wind works. He compared the Holy Spirit to wind to give John or Nicodemus a sense of uh, what he was talking about. A parable, however, is not an analogy. Uh, the par a parable is also described in the Old Testament as a riddle. Now, we all know what riddles are. Riddles are something that are um, hidden in meaning, and yet if we have the clue, then we understand the riddle. And we can figure that out. That is what a parable is. It is, a, it is a riddle that the Lord has to unlock and open up so that we can understand it. There are some times where uh, parables are clearly identified in Scripture. 
and, and given an explanation. Ezekiel chapter 17 is a great example of uh, a parable. We're not going to study that this morning, but that's a really great example of a parable where you get the parable first and then the explanation. We're going to look at one in the New Testament here shortly. <clears throat> now, um, most of the time, parables in the Old Testament aren't described as such. They are parables, but they're not readily identified as that. And so that makes it a little bit more tricky. And um, so we're going to look at Mark chapter 4 to give us uh, an example of a parable in the New Testament, if you want to turn there. Now this, I believe this parable is described three different Gospels, Luke and Matthew, as well as Mark. Um, so, and you can get additional insight as you study the others. But I usually teach out of Mark 4. Um, so, so, here's the scene. The scene is Jesus has a multitude of people around him. He's got a big crowd, and so big a crowd, he can't even get any separation to, to talk to them, so he gets in a boat, and he goes offshore a little bit so that he can separate, and then he can talk to the whole group. <clears throat> uh, starting in verse 1, it says, And again he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, all right, now, so here, here they are. They're all waiting. You know, they're, they're uh, fond of Jesus. They like the loaves and fishes. They're, they're uh, come to hear him talk and listen to this great orator. And, and here's what he tells them. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, <clears throat> and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprung up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. The other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let them hear. That is, that is literally all the multitude heard. Now, you and I, if we know our Bibles, we know what this parable is about a little bit. But pretend you're part of that multitude that day. That's all you hear. You heard a story that it's like this farmer has got some seed and it's like and some of it grows and some of it doesn't and some of it disappears right away and like what's up with that and that's all Jesus told them literally that's all they heard was was those that that very short little parable riddle and they didn't understand and Jesus didn't mind that that was okay with him he didn't want them to understand I know that's shocking to think that Jesus doesn't want them to understand something. And this is the multitudes, but there's a reason for this. And he's going to explain it. Verse 10, But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And another one of the passages in Matthew or Luke, it describes these as the disciples. Okay, now we've changed audiences. The multitude's gone. 
Now we have the disciples around Jesus. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. Well, why Jesus? So they can understand it and, and figure out, no, that's not what he's going to tell them. I tell them things in parables so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. Now that's heavy duty. Jesus is saying, I'm not, they're not ready for me. They might like me. They might like to hear what I say. They might like the loaves and fishes. They might like to be entertained with, with nice stories and miracles and healing and all that stuff. They are not ready for the message that I have to deliver to them, which is repent or you will all likewise perish. They cannot hear that. And so they don't get the explanation. All they get is a riddle. And until their heart turns, that's all they will get. Verse 13, And he said to them, Do you, disciples, not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? There's a lot of parables. There are parables all the way from Genesis to Malachi. The whole, what we call the Old Testament, is a, is a parable. There is hidden truth in there. So, he's going he's gonna to say, I'm going to give you guys an understanding of this parable to help you understand other parables. So this is like the key parable that begins to unlock all other parables. So let's see some of the things that Jesus tells us. The sower sows the word. Okay, so there's the first, the first key right there. Is that seed in verse uh, 3 is the word of God. Okay, so there's one thing that you can remember. And then, what happens to that word? These are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Well, I thought it was birds of the air. Jesus said that's Satan. So when you read in Scripture, birds of the air, don't always be thinking about a vulture or a falcon or a crow or a raven. You'd be thinking in spiritual terms. This is the powers of darkness right here. So you need to be thinking about what is, what is it that the Word of God is actually trying to communicate to you? These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground. Okay, so what does the stony ground represent? The stony ground represents those, when they hear the Word, they immediately receive it with gladness, they get excited. Um, I'm a Christian, I've been baptized, i got a Bible. And they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises, which is equated with the scorching sun, then they fall away. They stumble and they fall away. So scorching sun and in, intense uh, pressure can be considered the following, falling away of those who have no root in themselves. They haven't, they haven't applied the word of God to their lives. 
Now these are the ones in verse 18, sown among thorns. Okay, well we see a lot about thorns and thistles in Scripture. Here's some thorns. What does that represent? Uh, the, uh, they are the ones who hear the word. All right, so they heard the word. They understand it. But the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, like Forrest Finn's treasure... And the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So now we see that um, thorns choke out life. They choke out the life that we want. So in the, in the sense here, we're looking at a natural life versus spiritual life. But these, verse 20, are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word Accept it and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. And that is that good ground. And so the disciples get the explanation of the parable. The multitude did not. Jesus knew they weren't ready, and so he didn't even bother to give them. He did not want them to hear it yet. They weren't ready. And so this is, um, move on to verse 33, after a couple of other parables, Jesus says uh, this in verse 33, and it says, And with many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it, but without a parable he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. Only the disciples got any explanation about any of the parables that Jesus taught. The multitudes only got the riddles that they could not understand. The disciples were the only ones who got an explanation. So, this is a, this is a radical departure from uh, how we may think we need to understand Scripture. But this is the beginning of... Literally having a treasure hunt every time you go into the Word of God. <clears throat> we, um, so the purpose of parables is to make truth unintelligible. We cannot understand it until the Lord is ready to reveal it to us. He does that only when our will has been broken and we have truly repented. Until then, God will not reveal His truth to us. We can memorize Scripture. We can teach Scripture. But we will never understand Scripture fully. Remember, Saul was killing Christians, even though he knew the Bible very, very well. But when he repented and God opened his eyes, then immediately, within days, he was out proving from those very same Scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't get a bunch of new verses to understand. He was having insight into the same ones he had been familiar with for years. But now the light bulb was on and he was able to, to see in the Word. Alright, so let's go to 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, I'm going to spend some time just uh, going through some of Paul's revelations and, uh, and, and giving us some ideas about how we want to approach particularly the Old Testament. Remember, when, when the church was, was founded and the day of Pentecost had come, you know, when the, uh, the apostles were going out and sharing the word with everybody, 
they didn't have Matthew to Revelation, right? The whole church, the explosion of God's power and his kingdom was built on the the same word of God the Jews had from Genesis to Malachi. That's all they had to work with. The New Testament is simply a recording of writings to help people understand what that Old Testament was saying. <laughs> okay? It's hard to it's hard to remember that sometimes, but that was the word that turned the world upside down. You don't want to disrespect it. It's you know the the Jesus is the Word made flesh from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation. All of it is still vitally important for us to understand and learn from today. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is dealing here with uh, a very uh, backwards and uh, difficult congregation in the church at Corinth. And they're primarily... Uh, Greeks, they're not, they're not from a Jewish background. But he's going to share this with them. Verse, in verse 1, he says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples through the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So, so Paul says, remember that what was written for the Jews in their journey corporately out of Egypt and crossing the Red Sea, which represented water baptism, their period in the wilderness, their entering Canaan, all these things are a, a picture for us. That is, that is for our learning and teaching. These aren't just things that happened to the Jews in their historical record. No, they are vibrantly uh, active in our lives because we are going through the same process. We leave Egypt, which is a picture of the world. We, we leave Egypt behind. We immediately cross the Red Sea, which is water baptism. We become children of God. And we have a mixed nature in us where we have part of the Spirit wanting to draw us after Him. We've got our flesh that wants to Remind us of the things back in the world. So we have this, this horrible experience in the wilderness where we are torn between uh, uh, two uh, loves and those who eventually surrender cross the Red Sea. I'm not the Red Sea. They cross the Jordan River and they go into Canaan, which is not a picture of heaven. It is a picture of where we begin to take victory. 
when we get sorted out this, this period of the flesh versus the spirit, and we commit and say, the spirit is going to rule, and I'm going to walk after the spirit, then we move into Galatians 5.16, where we are now victorious. We are seeing the Holy Spirit conquer the things in our lives, like addiction and depression and idolatry of every persuasion. That is, every one of us individually goes through the same process that Israel went through corporately in the fleshly realm. Okay? So, um, now Paul is going gonna, is gonna to make some incredible statements that we're going to read. And, uh, and you're going to think, how did he gain that insight? Because it's not written anywhere. No, it wasn't. Because it, it's going to be by revelation. And he wrote some of these things down. Thank you, Paul. Uh, so that we could learn from them and understand how the Lord reveals His Word to us in a way that is not, it's beyond rational. It's not irrational, it's supra-rational. It's above our rational thought. So let's look at one of those in Galatians chapter 4. <clears throat> Now, the, the Galatians had a real problem in getting hung up with the Judaizers. The Judaizers uh, were these Jews who had converted to Christianity, but they had blended their belief system to where they were still stuck in religious bondage. I know nobody in this room knows anything familiar with that, right? <laughs> uh, so uh, a lot of people in this room have come out of a similar type of... Uh, a bondage. So he was. So Paul was saying, "Look, um, let's let's think about this a little bit. I want you to go back with me and think about uh, Sarah and Hagar." It's like, well, what do they have to do with any of this? Well, they actually have a lot to do with that. Uh, so let's start in verse 21, chapter 4 of Galatians. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law. Do you not hear the law? Now, there is a wide gulf between reading the Word of God and hearing the Word of God. And if you take nothing else away from this sermon today, that's what I want you to remember, is that not everything that you read, you want to not only read it, you want to hear it. You want to hear the Holy Spirit speaking what this is talking about. If you go back and read in, in uh, Genesis about Hagar and Sarah, you're going to see that they both had these children with Abraham. Hagar had Ishmael and Sarah had Isaac. And there was some conflict because Hagar kind of mocked Sarah and, uh, and wasn't real happy with her. And that really made Sarah angry. And she told Abraham to kick out that gal. Get rid of Hagar, even though that was Sarah's idea in the first place. Um, but now, she's really upset about what Hagar did and how she's acting, uh, and like she's, you know, better than, than, than Sarah. And so she tells Abraham, get rid of her. I want you to kick her out and her son. Get rid of them. And Abraham's not happy about this at all. But God said, you listen to her voice. She is, she's absolutely telling you what I want done. And so, Hagar and Ishmael have to leave. And it's like, well, 
Paul, what does that have to do with uh, what you're talking about here? Okay, well, I'm glad you asked. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by the bondwoman, that would have been Ishmael by Hagar, the other by the free woman, Isaac by Sarah. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. And if you've ever wondered about this passage, this is, this is really interesting. So, um, so Hagar, the, the son of Hagar, uh, represents the natural-born fleshly nature. Okay, that's what Ishmael represented. Did not need any divine intervention whatsoever for Abraham to have a child with Hagar. It just fell into place as the course of, of humanity does. Uh, no divine in intervention there. Now think about Isaac. Totally different. But in order for Sarah to have a child, she was, um, you know, old. Abraham was 99 years old. She was, I think, 90 or something like that. Well past childbearing years. And yet this was in relationship to fulfilling God's promise that Abraham would have a child. Now Abraham thought he'd already taken care of that with Ishmael. But... That wasn't God's plan ever. And, and so now God is going to bring forth an Isaac, which represents a spiritual birth, because there's a birth that only God can orchestrate. No human being can cause someone to be born spiritually. God has to intervene in order for that to happen. And so in type, Isaac is a picture of spiritual birth. So Paul says... Hagar represents something, and Sarah represents something. They represent covenants. Uh, the, uh, the covenant of works that came from Mount Sinai, and the covenant of grace that came through the blood of the Lamb. And there's conflict between these. And, um, and we would think, well, okay, so he says Hagar represents... Uh, Jerusalem, which now is, and Mount Sinai. But that all has to do with the covenant to the Jews. And we know Hagar, you know, gave birth to the Arabs and all that. Don't think about that in the physical realm. Think about it in the spiritual realm. In the spiritual realm, Hagar is Jews of the flesh. They, they re represents Jerusalem sitting over there in Israel and all the people born physically from Abraham. Okay, that's what Hagar represents. Sarah represents all those who were born spiritually, who were spiritual descendants of Abraham. That includes everybody in this room. Lord willing, I hope that's the case, <laughs> that you're all born again. And, uh, but everyone who is born uh, again and is in Christ is a spiritual descendant of Abraham. We are sons of Abraham. Read Romans 3 and 4. Now, how did Paul get this? Was he, you know, smoking some kind of wild weed or something or had a bad experience with a meal and he just latched on to this idea that Hagar and Sarah represent covenants? No, that's not how that happened. The Lord revealed it to him. He wasn't just reading 
Genesis. He was hearing Genesis. He was hearing what the Holy Spirit was communicating through those written words. Okay? Now, let's go to another one. Uh, I'm not going to have you turn there. Deuteronomy 25.4 says... Um, You shall not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. Right in the middle of a bunch of other passages, totally unrelated. Boom! Up pops Deuteronomy 25.4. You shall not muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain. And um, maybe you've never read that verse. Or maybe, maybe you haven't wondered, oh, well this means I should be kind to animals. Right? That's what that's all about is... If you're going to make the ox go around in the circle and tread out the grain, it would be really mean to not let him be unmuzzled and nibble a bit of it. Paul says, that's no. You're thinking in the fleshly realm. You're thinking in the natural realm. Get out of that. So go to 1 Corinthians 9.9. 9. <clears throat> now about this time you're probably thinking, I think John has been sampling some of those funny crops they grow down here in Colorado. It's like, <laughs> um, no, actually, I haven't. Um, uh, I, I, um, that, that's not what's going on. But I understand your, your concern. All right, now listen to what Paul says here. Uh, he's trying to explain why he and Barnabas put themselves under greater restrictions than the other apostles. And I'm not going to go into that. But in verse 9, he says, For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Okay? Is it oxen God is concerned about? That's his question. Is it oxen? Did, did God put that in his word, his eternal word that's going to last forever, for oxen? He says, no. That's not why, that is not why that verse is in your Bible. Or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written. That he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of this hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? Don't be thinking about oxen, Paul saying. Be thinking in the spiritual realm. Like, you remember when... When Solomon built the temple, there was this really weird thing that goes on there where there's this gigantic labor. I mean, much bigger than they had one in the wilderness. And this labor was a, was a big, like, I mean, like a swimming pool, you know, an oval-shaped swimming pool, round. Uh, and, and, uh, and it was held up by 12 stone oxen. Like, oxen? Wasn't that weird? Because there's like these 12 patriarchs, and then there's 12 apostles, and then there's these 12 oxen, and with this big labor. What, what, is the, what was the labor used for? Washing. For the priests, before they ministered, right? It was there to, for washing. Any, any place in the New Testament where it talks about washing? Washing each other's feet. Uh, washing of regeneration. Um, there's also a... Um, a washing with the water by the word, okay? This labor represented us cleansing ourselves with the word of God 
for ministry. Okay, that's what the labor represents. And who, who brings that? Messengers, oxen. So, I mean, Brother Phil, I'm sorry, but, you know, you probably need a feedback from now on, you know. Uh, we're, we're compared to oxen in the Word of God. Those who are ministering are considered oxen who are threshing out the grain and making it uh, where it can be digested by the ones who are going to consume it. We're not talking about, you know, feed troughs and that sort of thing. We are talking about taking the seed, which just has to be crushed and distributed to the people. That's what this verse is about, Paul says. Now, how did he know that? There's nowhere in Scripture that says, oh, by the way, this thing back in Deuteronomy 25.4 about don't muzzle the ox, that's actually about preaching the word. How did he know that? It was revealed to him. That's what I'm talking about. The word needs to be heard, not just read. And once we begin to gain a little bit of insight into this, it opens up a lot of possibilities for what is really going on when we're reading Scripture. Now, I know that um, uh, you have uh, heard about the road to Emmaus. When Jesus was walking with those guys after his resurrection, and, 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 and Jesus is like, well, let me tell you something about, about that of the Messiah. You know? And so he starts, he starts opening up to them all these places in Scripture that talk about himself. And, and they're just like amazingly enthused, and they, they, just, they don't want to stop. And, and, uh, and they're just so excited about listening to Jesus explain the Scriptures to them. I'm here to tell you that literally today you can be on the road to Emmaus with Jesus. Just listen to what the Word is saying and not just be reading it. He is still speaking. He's still giving clarity. He's still giving understanding in His Word as much as He ever has. It's just that our ears, our spiritual ears, have grown very, very dense and we don't hear very well. One of the reasons why we don't hear well is because we don't realize we're supposed to be listening to that sort of thing. Now, um, I'm just going to go through a couple of things that um, it, it may bear witness with you, it may not, but these are just things that I've seen over the years. Why doesn't, one, why doesn't God want clothing made of two materials? Remember, you know, it's like you can't mix, uh, you know, cotton with polyester or whatever it was, wool and, and cotton or, or something, you know, back in... Leviticus. It's like, what's up with that? It's like, but this shirt, I think it's got a little bit of mixture in there. Should I not wear the shirt? Maybe I should get a... No, God's not concerned about what kind of clothing you're put on, except spiritually. What are we supposed to put off? New Testament. The flesh, okay? Also called the old man. What are we supposed to put on? The new man, Right? God really does not want mixture in our, in our spiritual clothing. He wants us to put off the old man and put on the new man in Christ. And he talks about it over and over in Galatians and, and Colossians and, and all throughout the New Testament. He says, don't have mixture in your spiritual clothing. Put the old man off and put on the new man. I don't want mixture there. Um, thorns and thistles. Remember, they came in in Genesis right after the curse. 
Uh, those are the works of the flesh. That's the fleshly nature. Uh, what does edible fruit represent? What kind of fruit are we supposed to have? What's, what's good fruit? Fruit of the Spirit. Absolutely. That's the only kind of fruit that God wants to see. From And, and what are people called in the, a lot of times in the, in the Bible? Trees. Okay? Bad trees represent unconverted people. Good trees represent those who have been converted, who are now in Christ. And our fruit changes. We go from producing thorns and thistles to the fruit of the Spirit. Edible fruit that is good for people to eat. Uh, I, I, there's, there's literally hundreds and hundreds of these, but obviously we don't have time to do that. Now, many conflicts in the Old Testament between people or nations are pictures of the ongoing conflict that we, that we fight every single day between the natural man and the spiritual man. Okay? Now think about some of these, these uh, pictures I'm going to show you. Cain and Abel. Hagar and Sarah. Esau and Jacob. Eli and Samuel. Saul and David. Okay? All of these are pictures of the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And notice who comes first in every single one of them. In every passage in Scripture, Cain precedes Abel. Hagar is the first wife of Abraham, or the first one to have a baby with Abraham. And then Sarah. Esau is born forth. Then Jacob. Eli is on the scene before Samuel. Saul has the kingdom before David. In every case, the first has to be supplanted with the second. The natural has to be overwhelmed by the spiritual. The first Adam and the last Adam. The first Adam is of the flesh. The last Adam is of the spirit. See that? Over and, and these are just ones I could think of off the top of my head. Okay? There are many, many more. And when you read in the Old Testament and you're seeing conflict, be thinking, flesh versus spirit. Lord, show me this. It's there. It's there. That is what the, that the message is repeated over and over and over through many, many different examples. And if you're hearing and listening in the spiritual realm, you'll see this as you read the Word of God. <clears throat> now, the Old Testament is real history. It's not just make-believe stories. It's not just there to, uh, it's not just an allegory about something. It's real history, real people who lived and died, and we need to treat it as true history. But that history has spiritual meaning beyond just what happened in the physical realm. And that is what God wants to reveal to us. And he will when we are looking for it and our heart is in a good spot. If our heart is closed to him and... And we're not in a position to where we are um, willing to receive and change if he shows us something. He's not going to show us this. All we're going to get is things about be kind to animals for the oxen walking around. The be kind to animal verse. It's like, and we're going to totally miss what was actually intended. Because so we're not going to see it. We're not listening. So maybe you think you know a passage well from the Old Testament. I I uh, challenge you to approach it again humbly and with a teachable spirit and see what else the Lord wants to show you. This word is life. 
And his, uh, as, we, as his precious children, we are entitled to understand it. He will show it to us if we are looking for it. It's not intellectual. It's by revelation. Now, uh, one word of caution. Don't try to see, don't try to make up patterns. Okay? This is something that a lot of people have gotten into uh, throughout church history. Is they try to see things that aren't there. Second uh, Peter 1.20 tells us that no scripture is of any private interpretation. It cannot be that a verse means one thing to me and another thing to Phil and something else to Carrie and whatever. That's not how it works. There is one meaning. It's very likely hidden. But when we are in tune with the Spirit, God will show me exactly the same truth that He will show anybody else. And, if, uh, and many, many times I've seen things in Scripture and then I've read something by T. Austin Sparks or uh, Watchman Nee or whoever and seeing that I thought I was the first person to get this revelation, Lord. You know, what's up with that, you know? No, it's actually very comforting because you realize that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you because when you see something and then you realize that, that somebody else you respect in the body of Christ has seen it also, it's like, aha, that's confirmation there. Remember, you know, the testimony of two or more witnesses was necessary to put somebody to death. You know, God will confirm his word with the experiences of others. He's not going to make us a lone ranger where we have the only uh, un revelation about some scripture. If he shows it to me, he'll show it to you. So don't, don't look for stuff and try to make things out. I wonder, well, I wonder what I can make out of this passage. Don't do that. Revelation comes as a burst of light. You will see it before you intellectually reason it. Um, now, it's like, well, gosh... John, you know, you must be really advanced in spiritual uh, things to understand these things. No! The first revelation I got was about Romans chapter 2, the last couple of verses, where it talks about you are a real Jew, a true Jew, if you've been circumcised of the heart by the Spirit. I, was, I had been a Christian as a total of like three days. Okay? Um... Let's turn to Luke 10 to conclude this, because I want to make sure that you don't think this is something super spiritual. This actually has nothing to do with spiritual maturity and everything to do with an open and humble heart. So Luke 10, verse 17. Uh, Jesus had sent out the twelve, and they you know, went two by two, and they did the ministry, and they healed the sick, and they... You know, did all that stuff. Then, he sent out the 70. Did you forget about the 70? 70 were 70 other disciples. They were also sent out on the same mission. Two by two, do the same ministry. Like, we forget about that. We think about the 12, forget about the 70. Uh, now, these were not the ones who had been with Jesus all this long time. They were fairly new in their faith. Verse 17, Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. All right, folks. I got, a, I got one thing I got to add here. Don't be picking up rattlesnakes. That is not what this verse is talking about. Who is the serpent? The devil. Serpents and scorpions represent the powers of darkness. This whole context here is about demons, okay? 
don't be snake handling because of this verse. That is, that's, that, now you're back in the oxen level. You're talking about being kind to animals. Like, that's not what this verse is about. Uh, and, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. I am telling you that what I'm talking about and getting revelation from the word of God and hearing the word, not just reading the word, is not for the spiritually mature. It is for the brand new believer, the one who's just given his heart to Christ. He can hear. He can hear. If he will come to this word and receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and, and this is not something that you have to spend years of study. This doesn't require any study. It requires a teachable and humble spirit and saying, Lord, I want to see. I want your revelation. I will be obedient to what you show me. That is the heart of how we get revelation from the Word of God. So, I challenge you to come to this Word in a different way. Crawl up in your Father's lap, sit down and say, Lord, just, just like Sarah was reading the story right here, crawl up in your Father's lap and let, and let the Lord Jesus illuminate His Word to you. And every day, every time you come to the Word, you can be on the road to Emmaus. Thank you. Thank you, John, for sharing the Word of God with clarity. I don't think I need to add anything to that. I was just so blessed by, again, being refreshed with the idea of the difference of just simply reading the Scripture versus hearing it. And and I can say for myself that that's very true. I mean, I've read the Bible through multiple times and it still happens frequently that I'll read something oh wait a minute that's what it says and that's the way it should be thank God for uh, his spirit that gives us revelation through his word like that so thank you for that John alright that concludes our service this morning. I believe lunch is ready or very nearly ready. So once again, please stay and let's enjoy this time of fellowship as well. So if you're able to, please stand to your feet. We'll dismiss with a prayer and a blessing on the noon meal. Thank you, Father, for the word that we heard this morning. And I thank you for the faithfulness of your spirit to open your words to us and give us continual revelation of your word to us. 
thank you for what we heard this morning, and I pray that it would continue to refresh us in the weeks ahead. Thank you for the food that you provided for us. I pray your blessing on it. I pray that you bless our time of fellowship here this afternoon. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.